Good morning, City Church. How are we doing? Doing well? Good. Well, it is my joy to bring God's Word to us today. We are in the middle of a series called Remember, um, which is basically to remind us of things that that we need to be reminded of often. Anybody have a lot of things they need to be reminded of often? I think actually this is what preaching fundamentally is at a certain level. It's reminding us of things we already know, but we need to be reminded of, right? Because uh, we are forgetful people. Our hearts wander. Our, our desires drift. And so it is my joy to bring the message this morning. Uh, that's my only PowerPoint slide, so we'll go from the bald guy there to the bald guy here. So uh, anyway, <laughs> let's pray. Gracious God, God of passions for justice, we bow our hearts before you, and we open our hearts to you and ask that you would speak. Lord, when your voice rings out, may all other voices be silent, and may your kingdom come and your will be done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one of my, what I would say, uh, one of my favorite shows, but also one of the most redemptive shows on TV, as far as I'm concerned, is a show called Undercover Boss. Anybody with me on Undercover Boss? Any closet Undercover Boss fans? Uh, okay, a couple of you. Great. That's wonderful. Um, hope other shows wouldn't get greater applause, but anyways. Uh, well, one of the things I love about Undercover Boss, it's, it's this uh, opportunity for people who find themselves in positions of power and privilege to then uh, go into the depths of their company. Typically, it's the CEO or somebody in, at, at the uh, C-level uh, status uh, of the company. They then go into the company and they work the jobs that the people further down work in, in, in their company, and it's a very eye-opening experience for them. They realize uh, how hard some of the jobs are. It's, it's, to me, kind of funny to see these CEOs who can't do the entry-level job in their own company, right? They're, they can't drive the fork truck. They can't keep up with the pace of what they're being asked to do, and it's this constant struggle. And then they always take a lunch break, which to me, I'm thinking as soon as there's the lunch break and they're asked the question about, tell me about your life, that the employee has to know that they're going to be on Undercover Boss, but I don't know if they really, you guys, if you've watched this, you know what I'm talking about. And so they, and then during that time, the, the CEO who's undercover, uh, who's the, the new employee, asks a question about their life. And typically, it is a very sad story. It's a very difficult story. It's a story of struggle. It's a story of perseverance. It's a story of endurance. And then at the end of the show is when you're always fighting back tears if you watch The Undercover Boss because the, then the CEO reveals himself or herself and the employees that worked with them for that day come in and they're like, oh, I thought I was training a new guy or a new lady. And they're like, no, actually you're training the CEO and he, I failed. And, and then what happens is the CEO will give a gift or a blessing in some way that will be life-changing to the employee. And when the employee receives it, they are just so struck by 
by how fortunate they are to, to have been given this blessing. And then it's this picture of the person and power and privilege appreciating people who don't live there every day. And, and, and there's something in the human heart when you see it, you're like, this is redemptive. This is right. This is good. We should be in touch. The, the people up here should be in touch with what, what happens down here to make this all possible. And there should be some reciprocity. And so that you just end feeling good, right? I mean, is, is, are you with me? And I think to myself... Uh, that's a, a little bit what the gospel is like. It's an imperfect picture, but it's about the God of glory who, who in the incarnation, he enters into the brokenness of the world and voluntarily subjects himself to the brokenness of the world so that he can bless people, he can restore people and redeem people who desperately need it. And he does it voluntarily. Well, it, what we're going to see is, is, that, is that that is the picture of what God wants for us in our lives, in our hearts, as well as we are his people. So if you will, open up your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. How many people woke up this morning and said, I sure hope the message is out of Deuteronomy? Anybody? <laughs> like, I'm feeling some Deuteronomy coming on. Um, well, we're in Deuteronomy this morning, Deuteronomy 24. This is page 159, if you have the Bible that the church provides, and there are some notes on the version app, as far as I know. Well, we are going to read a few verses. We're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to read to verse 22. This is God's word. This is written uh, to the people of Israel, and God is telling them what his expectations, what his desire is for his people. And this is what the word says. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or, the, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. In other words, he's saying, remember that your entire life is one of grace. Your entire existence is founded on the goodness and grace of God in your life, that you were set free, you were brought out of bondage, Israel. And so don't forget that and cause that to impact the way you live with other people. Verse 19, and when you're harvesting in your field and, and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. It, it, here's what this does, is it, it connects the way you treat the needy among you to God's blessing to you. And then it says this, verse 20, And when you beat the olives from your trees, so this afternoon as you beat the olives, don't go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widows. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and this is what 
I've commanded you to do. And so you see this refrain over and over again throughout the scriptures of this, this triad, the, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So, so why is it that God is concerned about the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow? Why, why, why do we have this triad repeated over and over and over? Because these are the people of the culture that would have been on the underside of power in that day. They were the people who, who, who power often, they didn't have people to defend them. These were the people who would let, be left vulnerable to, to, the, uh, to the whims of others. These were the people who had no net to fall into. They didn't have a parent's basement to move back into. They had no net. And so it says, the people of God should be their net. The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And then God always connects it to grace. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that it is that, that you were that you were bound and I set you free. Remember that you were enslaved and I I brought you out of that slavery. Remember that you were desperate and I rescued you. And so therefore, as recipients of grace, I want you to be conduits of grace, conduits of redemption, conduits of restoration like you were the blessing of. And this is what God says to his people. I want you now to turn over to Isaiah 58, which is page 609. And this is, again, God speaking to his people, the prophet uh, Isaiah, the mouthpiece, giving the oracle of God hundreds of years later. And it, it speaks of God's passion, of, of what it means to be the people of God. This, this is a chapter that says, this is what it looks like. If you want to be the people of God, this is what I had in mind for my people. See, because God is a God of passion, and his passions obviously start with us being returned into relationship with him because he knows that that is the fountainhead of our very existence, is that we are to be in relationship with him. But then his intention has always been that our relationship with him would then flow over into blessing all of culture, all of the people on the face of the earth, and expanding the restoration and redemption in the world as the people of God in relationship with him who then bring his restoration into the world, that we would be agents of redemption. And so he's writing, Isaiah, I'm sorry, he's not, he's uh, giving this, this oracle of what God intended for his people. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this chapter. Honestly, I really don't need to say much if I just gave a public reading of this chapter. We say, amen, and let's go home, right? But I'm going to make a few comments and so follow with me in Isaiah 58. He says this, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. In other words, uh, this is a big deal. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Now a trumpet in that day would be used to like call the army to battle. There's a war, you know. And like everybody, in other words, move to action and what you're going to hear. This is really important. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob, their sin. Uh-oh. Verse 2. For day after day they seek me out. They seem to know my ways as if 
They were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They, they ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. <laughs> In other words, they're doing a lot of external things that, that, that would look like their hearts are with God, but it's, it's going to tell us their motivations are actually tainted and their hearts have drifted from him. Verse 3, why have we fasted, they say. So they're fasting. I mean, these are religious people doing religious things. They're actually fasting. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? They're complaining to God, like, we're fasting, and we've got our list that we're still praying for. And I ain't seen it happen. Like, so here's what they're doing. They're fasting, but they still haven't turned from self. What, what, what they're fasting is about is trying to somehow get God in on their deal, trying to somehow get God to, to, to care about, quote unquote, what, what their desires are for their life. And so they're fasting. He's like, hey, we're doing this, we're, and, and it's not paying off, God. Like, where are you at? Why, why isn't my list happening? Yet... On the day of their fasting, they do as they please. So they'll go through some minor inconveniences, but they're still going to live how they want. And what does it say? They do as they please and exploit all your workers. In other words, the employer fasts and the employees are exploited. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. <laughs> You're lucky I'm fasting today. I ought to hit you harder, you know? Like, <laughs> what is the like You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So here's what you have. You have like a bunch of, of religious people doing religious things who are really very carnal and fleshly. They're still, their religi religious activity, their religi religiosity, if you will, is really trying to get God in on their agenda and on their deal, and yet they're still fleshly, they're still carnal, and they are still consumed with self. And here's what's happened. They've somehow disconnected their relationship with God to their love for people. They've somehow disconnected their, their relationship with God and how that impacts the way they are to interact in the culture and their social responsibility. They have disconnected their relationship with God and, ha and, and, and from their relationship with God, they've disconnected it from how they treat the needy among them and now the triad of those who are vulnerable, those who are on the underside of power, those who are needy are no longer in their sight. And God is like saying, this is not what I had in mind for my people. 
Like they're supposed to be the agent of redemption in the world. They're supposed to be the colony of heaven on earth. This is what Philippians tells us. Like you're the colony of heaven on earth. Like what I intended for my people is that you guys would be a force for good, a force for justice, a force that would defend the cause of the foreigner, the aliens. Yeah, that was the old translation. The, The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widows. Now, here's what I have learned over my years of following Jesus, is that the closer I walk with him, there is this paradox that happens in my life. And maybe you've noticed this paradox in your life, too. That the closer I walk with Jesus, there are two sides of the same coin that something happens to. On on one side, my heart increases in its capacity for joy. Have you ever, when you're really walking with the Lord and you're, you're living in his grace and you have a fresh revelation of the gospel, your joy goes through the roof. How many people would agree with that? Your, your joy goes up because you understand in a, in a fresh way that all of your life is just the grace and mercy of God, right? And so you, you, when you realize that your whole existence is, is not on your goodness and because you earned it and because of how smart you are as if you had something to do with your own intellect, but it, it's by God's mercy and God's grace. And so you walk around with this joy in your heart that God has been so good. His faithfulness is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness and your joy goes up, right? Here's the other side of the paradox when you walk close with Jesus. When you're living in his gospel is that your capacity to step into other people's suffering increases as well. That you'd almost think that this increase of joy would make you less attuned to other people's suffering, but what happens is both happen simultaneously. Your joy in the Lord goes up, and yet your ability to empathize and to step into other people's suffering increases simultaneously. It's like both sides of your heart grow, both sides of your heart expand, and then you start to look a lot like Jesus, because Jesus said, I came that you would have joy, and that your joy may be to the full, that my joy would be in you. I have lots of joy, Jesus says. And yet, it says that he was acquainted with grief. He wasn't distant from the brokenness of the world. That you have the capacity as you walk with Jesus to live both out simultaneously. Isn't that good news? So that's what God wants to do in our hearts. And so, here's what he says In verse 6, if he's like, this is what I had in mind, like this is what I want my people to be like, this is what I hope my people will do in the world. And let me just say this, as I read this passage, um, in light of recent events in in our country this week, this passage was chosen way before. This is not in, this isn't like some political agenda, you need to understand this, I am not a politician, I'm a pastor, okay? I just want us as God's people to do what God would call us to do. I, I, I'm a, the, the parent of two beautiful African-American kids. I'm also the, the son of a retired police officer. I, I have one agenda, and it's not political, it's pastoral, that we as the people of God would live out God's heart in our country and in our world, and that we would be agents of redemption in a world that desperately 
needs it. And so this is what it says in verse 6. God says, this is not the kind of fasting I have chosen. Oh, I'm sorry. No, this is. I'm sorry. The the previous was not. This is the kind of fasting. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? He says this, to loose the chains of injustice. To untie the cords of the yoke. And to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. God is saying this, that my people need to care about oppression wherever oppression is, injustice wherever injustice is. So whether it be what IJM is doing in the ends of the earth and places where the justice system is against those who are on the underside of power, God says, I want my people to care about it and not to be content with it. And then, he, he, and then he, he would also say, and whether it be in our own culture, whether it be issues of racial equality in our own culture, I want, I want my people to care about this. Wherever there's injustice, because he says every bit of injustice, every chain broken, every cord of of the yoke untied. He says, I want my people to care about this and to be an agent of redemption in a world that desperately needs it. If you're like me, I'm often like, but what does that mean for me? Like, Like, how do I change these massive issues in our culture from my address. Can I just give you a couple things that I would encourage us to think about what we can do on a micro level, okay? Because, and then maybe that will impact the, I think it will if we all embrace our micro, what can happen on the macro. Let me just give you three quick things, and I don't have them on PowerPoint, probably should, but number one is this. I would say, pray that God keeps your heart soft. That, you know, we, we get inundated with visions uh, of things from Aleppo to uh, riots on streets to, um, videos on YouTube to uh, even videos that we saw earlier today. And it can be so easy, whether it be out of our selfishness to, to pull back, whether it be out of we're overwhelmed or we've just seen so much, we've somehow gotten desensitized. It would be easy for our hearts to get hard to these things. And would, would we just pray, say, Lord, help my heart to expand this way and this way. Don't let me become, give me a heart of flesh that's sensitive and responsive. Help me feel what you feel in these moments. Number one, could we just pray? Number two, I would say this. When you're around people that may be uh, uh, impacted by the issues of the day, by the, by, by the, the things that are going on in the culture, because their identification with it is so personal, would you just ask them questions of how they're doing? How is this impacting you? And be, and be proactive to seek a greater understanding of what that person's experience is like on a day-in, day-out basis and open your heart for a deeper understanding versus shutting yourself off. And then finally, would you just empathize? You know, the Bible says this, we are to mourn with those who mourn. You know what that means? It's that you voluntarily step into the place of suffering with somebody else. And you share in that moment, you identify with it, and you make them feel felt. 
How many people want somebody to feel your frustrations and fears? How many people want somebody to feel your hopes and your hurts? Like, if we will just step in to other people's fears and frustrations, their hopes and their hurts, and say, you know what, I feel what you're feeling, and, and that can be healing in of itself. And so if we'll just do these things, keep a sensitive heart, ask questions, be a part of the dialogue, and help people feel felt, that will go a long way on the micro level, and then we'll trust as many things are happening on the micro level, God will be at work on the macro level. Amen? Does that sound all right? And maybe God will call you to some macro level deal, but we can all do the micro level. And so he says, Verse 6, loose the chains of injustice and tie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. And then it says this, is it not, again, isn't this the type of thing that I desire for my people? To share your food with the hungry? To provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. I says, isn't what I want is like, if you don't beat your tree in extra time and don't go back on your field, but leave a little margin so you can help those who, who need some help. And then he says, don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. I, I, let me give you the message version. This is the message version. I'm making this up. But this is, this is the loose Pete Bulette paraphrase. Don't ever dehumanize them. They breathe the same air you breathe. They, hunger feels the same for them as it feels for you. Don't, don't underestimate their capacity for pain. Don't, don't think that they don't have hopes for their life as well. Identify with them. Don't turn away from your own flesh or blood. They are just like you. And yet, we can so easily start to dehumanize it a bit. Like, we'll, we'll say stuff like this. Well, kids, that's what happens when you sin. You need to learn the lesson. This is what happens when you sin. And this is why it's important that we work hard. And, and we, we say these, these things. Um, this is why that you should stay in school, kids. And, instead of saying, you know what, kids, they deserve dignity. They're made in the image of God like us. And so many times we can oversimplify the world. Because you know what? I know this. I know that some of the hardest working people are still on the underside of power. I know this. I know that we've all made stupid decisions in our life. The difference is we had a net to fall into. And we had a basement we can move back into to get us back on our feet. You know, as a foster parent, for years I, I realized that life is complex and that um, 
we can tend to over, uh, oversimplify the world. Um, we, can, we can say little pithy sayings that try to dismiss any sense of empathy or grace that we would need to show. Um, I want to handle this well, but, you know, if you grew up in a life of consistent instability, perhaps neglect, and in the context of poverty, it's been shown that that can have physiological, psychological, and emotional impacts on you all of your life. And And what we often do in our culture in, is we will look at the exception to the rule of the person who grew up in a very, very difficult situation and we'll say, see, anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. The, the American dream's for everybody. And we take the exception instead of like proclaiming the grace and goodness of God that made this person extremely resilient, that, that, that consistently breaks people, but for some reason they were able to rise above the ashes by the grace and goodness of God, we use it to condemn everybody else who hasn't risen above the ashes quite like they have. And if you, and if you lived in, in chaos and you, your family had no net to fall into, and you're a third-generation foster children, equal opportunity isn't quite so easy. And what God says is, that's why I have my people, because I want them to be their net. I want them to be the place of healing. I want them to be the place of empathy. I want them to be the place that helps people get back on their feet. I want them to be the people in the world that are the salt, that, brings uh, that preserves the world and restores the world and are agents of good in the world. You know, I got on this week, I did not know what I'd find, but I typed in uh, poverty in Charlottesville, just out of curiosity. Uh, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, you guys can look it up this afternoon, 27% uh, of Charlottesville lives beneath the poverty line. 27%. That means one out of every four people in Charlottesville by definition, the poverty line is this. They can't afford to purchase all the resources one requires to live. That's the definition. It means one out of every four people. One, two, three, four does not know how they're going to pay their rent this month. One, two, three, four may have to skip a meal because they don't have enough. One, two, three. Three, four, is at risk of getting their utilities shut off. In our city. Now, I don't say this to make us all feel guilty because we may or may not be in that number. I say this so we don't start to live as if the world is our world. Like, that, that the whole world lives on the, in the same situation we live in, but to resensitize our hearts so we don't do this, and it's just about me and Jesus, and somehow we have divorced what God's intent was for his people. 
And then this is what it says in Isaiah 58. It says, then, in other words, then as you, as you take up these causes, as you care about these things, as you engage them, then your light will, sh- will break forth like the dawn. Then your healing will quickly appear. In other words, as you start to serve others and be this agent of good Israel or God's people today, as you begin to do that, you'll actually find your own healing. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your regard. So what are the results of this kind of life? Glory, righteousness, healing. You will leave a wake of blessing wherever you go, right? Wow. How many people say that sounds pretty good in Charlottesville, right? Glory, righteousness, healing, wakes of blessing. You're like, wait, I think somebody from City Church was just here. How do you know? Because there's a wake of blessing I just walked into. You know, it's like, wouldn't that be awesome? And then it says this, Then you will call on the Lord and he will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. Now here's what you need to know. Here I am is repeated by the servants of God over and over and over in Scripture. But when you take up God's cause cause in the world and what he cares about, his passions in the world, then when you pray, he'll say to you, Here I am. Isn't that awesome? And then it says this, If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And then it talks about, here's what you'll experience. Listen to this, guys. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. In other words, you won't have to worry about God's will anymore. College students, that sound good? Don't have to worry about God's will? Because here's what I know. If you're a person who says, I'm going to be about kingdom stuff, he will not waste you. Isn't that good news? Like, you don't have to worry about guidance anymore because you're like, he ain't going to waste you. He's going to make sure that, that if you have his heart, that he's going to use that. And you'll be, you'll satisfy, he will satisfy your needs in sun-scorched lands. You will see his provision in ways that marvel you. And will strengthen your frame. You'll have a strength beyond your own. You'll be energized by what you are doing. And it says this, you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. In other words, what many of us may need in our walk with Jesus is not another sermon, but we may need to get out into the world a little bit. We may need to serve the homeless, go visit an elderly person in a nursing home. We may need to call a single mom and ask if we can bring them a meal or offer some free babysitting. And what will happen as we do these things, as we engage in serving other people, we ourselves will be refreshed. As it says in Proverbs, those who refresh others, will they themselves be refreshed? That if you are stagnant in your walk with God, maybe it just is about stepping out and you will find a refreshing as you step out in these things. And it says, to conclude, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairs of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. (laughs) Um, Years ago, I heard Rick Warren say something. He was interviewed on Larry King's show. That tells you how many years ago this was. He said, what are you doing with all this money from the purpose-driven life, all this money you're making? And, and Rick Warren said this, and I'll never forget it. He says, God gives 
affluence to his people so they can use their resources to give influence to those who have none. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought about the people that I know in this church who have been used as these agents of redemption over the years, and I just want to tell you a few quick things that have happened from this church. I thought about Tommy and Sarah Everett, who God has used to be really influential in the Haven Day Shelter. They've been champions for it from the very beginning because they took up God's heart for the needy of our community. I thought about Gray and Karen Hill. I don't know, Gray and Karen, if, if you're even here today, but um, Gray and Karen have adopted multiple kids. I, I, Gray is, I don't know how old he is. He's in retirement age. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And I've been out at the soccer fields with my kid, and there's Gray out there because he's got a little grandson of, of one of his adopted kids he's taken care of many times. And I'm like, Gray, you're still at the soccer field. But he, he's embraced the heart of God for the foreigner the fatherless, and the widow. I thought about Matt Salerno, who was a teacher at Jack Jewett, who said, you know what, there's a lot of these kids that when they go home over the weekend, they don't have any food. And so he said, I'm going to start a, a food drive. And so City Church was, was involved in that, and, and Matt was a champion of that. And now my son is at Jack Jewett. I, th I thought about Amy McCartney, who's in our life group, who I watched her care for a widow, who she, she would always have a, an update on, on the widow. She would call the widow. She would make sure that the widow had the financial provision that she needed and would rally those resources and, and cared for her. And I just watched the, how beautiful it was. I, I watched the glory, the righteousness in action, and the list could go on and on and on of people that I know in this community who've embraced this heart. Guys, this isn't about superheroes. This is about people who just take a little slice and say, I'm going to make a difference here, and I'm going to be a restorer of a broken wall here. I'm going to grab one brick. I'm going to put the brick in. My hope is, is that no one leaves here feeling guilty. But you leave here inspired that this is what God has in mind. Will you stand with me? What could happen this morning? If we all just opened our hearts and said, Lord, what would you have me do? To engage this triad, the foreigner, the orphans, and the widows the people on the underside of power, the people who don't have influence, the people who are vulnerable, who have no net to fall into. It, what would happen if all of us just said this, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to speak to me about this. Just show me something I can do. Maybe, maybe he'll put a single mom in your head and you're going to start walking really close to that single mom that's just trying to grind it out and not break. 
Maybe it's your elderly neighbor. Maybe it's the person that, that is on your daily commute that you see every day on the way and you can tell they're, they're stuck. Or maybe it's a check you write. I have no idea. I'll let the Spirit do that. But will you just open your heart? And then, what would happen if all of us in here picked up a brick and said, I'm going to restore the wall here? What would happen? What would, what, what would happen in the next 12 months? How would God be glorified? How would righteousness be revealed? How, what kind of, would they, we'd go everywhere all over the city and have to dodge wakes of blessing that have been left behind by the people of God. Let it be. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we live by your grace alone. That your grace has been so abundant that we were in bondage and you set us free that we live in your grace. Lord, help us to be conduits of grace in this world. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you begin to bring names and faces and people to, to hearts of people here. Maybe ministries they've wanted to volunteer with, but they just have never gotten over the hump, or, or neighbors they've wanted to invite over, or, or single moms they've wanted to influence, or, or, or coworkers they need to engage in conversation. Lord, I pray that we would embrace your heart and that you would speak as we do. That it would be for your glory and people's good are looking for people that will be agents of redemption in their life. In Jesus' name, will you sing with us?
the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life always my song you are good good oh you are good good oh so good so good the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails the anchor in the waves oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days So good, so good.